Democratic candidates setting their sights on attacking President Obama? The lead starts right now. 2020 Democrats back on the campaign trail today after the big CNN debates and the frontrunner, former Vice President Joe Biden, responding to attacks from his opponents that he calls bizarre. Is it getting chilly in here? The U.S. is about to test a new missile as a treaty that helped end the Cold War crumbles. Is a new arms race on the horizon. Plus, no pay, we stay. Kentucky miners block a train loaded with coal deep in Trump country after their company goes belly up, and they say they won't budge until payday comes. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with breaking news in our world lead, a U.S. official telling CNN that North Korea is believed to have launched two short-range ballistic missiles today, similar to the missiles test fired by Kim Jong-un's regime earlier this week. I want to get right to CNN's Will Ripley who's been to North Korea nearly 20 times. And Will, this is the third launch in less than two weeks by North Korea. What do you make of this flurry of testing? Is he trying to send a signal of some sort? He's absolutely trying to send a signal, Jake, both a signal to President Trump, to South Korean President Moon Jae-in, and frankly, to the hawks inside his country who think he should go tougher on the United States because the North Koreans haven't gotten what they want, which is sanctions relief before they do anything in terms of substantial steps to denuclearize. The North Koreans have indicated a willingness to continue working level talks with the U.S. In fact, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was in Bangkok. He said that he's optimistic. He hopes that those talks will happen soon. So these launches, in some sense, are posturing, but also a reminder to the U.S. of what North Korea could do if talks don't go the way they want. They could launch something much bigger. They could launch an ICBM or even conduct a nuclear test pretty much at any time, Jake. All right, Will Ripley, thank you so much. Turning to our 2020 lead now and a new question for Democrats emerging from the CNN debates. How much to stay focused on defeating Donald Trump versus how much to target each other, especially frontrunner Joe Biden? As the candidates debated their records and proposals last night, the record of Barack Obama on trade on immigration on criminal justice reform was caught in the crossfire over and over. And as CNN's Jessica Dean now reports for us today, Biden is questioning why Obama and his legacy were even up for debate as the vice president attempts to use the 44th president as something of a shield. Former Vice President Joe Biden and California Senator Kamala Harris back on the trail today, hours after sparring at the CNN debate in Detroit. In response to Senator Biden. Biden stopping by a restaurant with the city's mayor and the president of the Detroit NAACP. It's not about moving left or right. I think I represent the party. While Harris shadowed a Detroit security officer who's also a local union member. Biden today said the level of criticism directed at parts of former President Barack Obama's record was unexpected. I must tell you, I was a little surprised at how much their incoming was uh, about Barack, uh, about the president. I mean, uh, I, uh, I, I'm proud of Evan with him. I'm proud of the job he did. Among the areas that came under scrutiny, the mass deportations by the Obama administration from a member of Obama's cabinet. We sat together in many meetings. I never heard him talk about any of this when he was the secretary. First of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio repeatedly asked Biden if he used his power as vice president to advise Obama against the deportations. I was vice president. I am not the president. I keep my recommendation in private. Which quickly led to New Jersey Senator Cory Booker calling out Biden for using his ties to the former president as a political shield. 
You can't have it both ways. You invoke uh, President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient and then dodge it when it's not. Biden wasn't the only candidate center stage taking heat. Harris faced tough criticism over her time as a prosecutor in California from Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. I'm deeply concerned about this record. She fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. According to a CNN fact check, Harris advocated for higher bail amounts for gun-related crimes after being elected San Francisco's district attorney in 2004. But she also introduced legislation as a senator in 2017 to reform or replace the practice Gabbard criticized. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. Now, also out on the campaign trail today, Senator Elizabeth Warren. She had a big Tuesday, was quiet yesterday as the rest of the candidates took part in the second part of the debate and is now back on the campaign trail. She, along with a host of others, uh, her fellow top tier candidates included all headed to Las Vegas next. Jake, uh, they'll speak to a union group there over the weekend and uh, they find themselves back together once again. All right, Jessica Dean, thanks so much. Uh, let's tour this with my experts. Uh, Maddie, let me start with you. Biden said today he was surprised that so many of his rivals went after him about the Obama-Biden record. Take a listen. The world has changed since Obama. He changed what was going on. And the idea that somehow it's com- comparable to what this guy's doing is absolutely bizarre. Now, I didn't really hear anybody comparing Obama to Trump. No. And also this idea that they're going after Barack Obama. No joke. They're going after you. <laughs> and the idea that you're going to run for president with 40, 40 years of experience and then people aren't going to pick apart that record. I mean, you had Gillibrand going back to 1981 pulling up an op-ed to go after Biden. I would go much further to the 70s, which Kamala Harris did in the first debate, yeah. uh, bringing up the busing stuff. I mean, you can go through all of his record. He has a bad record and he has to deal with that. And he got a chance to deal with it. Bill de Blasio jumped and tried to take over your job and said, answer the damn question about uh, deportation. He wouldn't do it. Oh, I I keep my advice private. In fact, let's run that clip. Uh, Mary de Blasio challenging uh, the fact that there were more deportations under Obama-Biden than under President Trump. Take a listen. We'll come right back to you. Did you say those deportations were a good idea? Or did you go to the president and say, this is a mistake, we shouldn't do it? Which one? I was vice president. I am not the president. I keep my recommendation in private. Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke uh, President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient and then dodge it when it's not. I think Cory Booker, that was one of the lines of the night when he nailed him uh, on that point, pointing out the double standard. And you looked, you saw Biden trying to hit back at Booker. This time he came with notes, but he had to read his notes as he was kind of doing his put downs. And he gaffed at the beginning of the night calling Kamala Harris a, uh, you know, a kid. He gaffed at the end of the night with his own website. He gaffed in the middle when he endorsed Booker's presidential candidacy. <laughs> I mean, I watched it. I thought it was a disaster. I know some people are saying Biden did better than we thought. But let's not start treating Biden like we treat Trump where we grade him on a curve. What do you make of it all? I think Biden had a perfectly good night. because Really? He's perfectly good. But by his but, standards? Or? But, no, by standards, that he's like 30 points ahead, and they didn't really lay a glove on him. But opportunity cost was very high. When Bill de Blasio said this about deportations, Joe, the vice president, should have said, Some people need to be deported. The president in the Obama administration, the president targeted people who are violent, people who committed felonies while they're here. And yes, some people who lied on their application, but that's a crime, too. And also people who would 
been in the country just recently, had just arrived and been there for weeks and months yes. instead of years. By the way, Kamala Harris should have said, some people need to be incarcerated. She should have turned to Tulsi Gabbard and said, yes, I raised yeah, bail but, on people who create gun violence because gun violence is an epidemic. No, but they, this is my problem with the whole two-day debate is I believe many of these candidates seeking to win the nomination are setting themselves up to lose the presidency to Donald Trump. By running so far to the left? Yes. Um, Mary Catherine, what did you make of Joe Biden? Because I've heard a lot of people saying he seems to, uh, to charitably, he seems to have lost his, uh, his fastball. Uh, take a look at, at this moment where he's stumbling, trying to hammer home a point. It's no longer chemicals. It's about all these breakthroughs we have with the whole, dealing with the whole, excuse me, immune system. Now, he struggled with a stutter when he was a kid, so I don't know if that's coming back. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it. Or if maybe he's just not as agile as he used I to be. I thought his performance was okay-ish. That's, I mean, but that's not good. Uh, and he had, I think, an opportunity to improve a great deal, and he did not improve a great deal. That being said, a bunch of people are taking shots at him, and I thought he handled them okay. Um, there were times when I thought he was pretty good, uh, and he went on the attack, and he and he defended himself. He also did defend the Obama legacy, and this is a problem the rest of them have, which is, yes, he does use Obama as sort of his shield, but if you're going to go after him in recent memory, Biden's record in recent memory, you do end up going smack into Obama's legacy. And when it comes to health care especially, some of those candidates are out there saying, look at this disaster. And he, he is within his rights to be like, wait, 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 wait. Look who you're going after. Yeah, I would say the two biggest things that Democrats are fighting over right now, immigration and health care, are two major crises that were not resolved by the Obama-Biden administration. So that is completely fair game. But what is hard to watch, there's all these Democrats that are uncomfortable with the fact that they're having a policy debate because they just want to unify and attack Trump. You can't kick this down the road. It is much better to fight over this in the primaries, resolve the issues among yourselves, rather than leave this linger for the general election. And let's talk about Kamala Harris, because uh, she also took a lot of incoming last night. Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard, in particular, challenged Harris's record uh, as a prosecutor. Take a listen. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences. I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. Now, she told CNN she expected this because she's a top-tier candidate and uh, Tulsi Gabbard is not. I'm not sure she does expect it. I think she's managed to get away with not being held to account yep. mm-hmm. uh, for her California record so far. People are so happy that she's in the race. She's clearly brilliant at what she does. She was a brilliant in taking down Biden in that first debate. But people haven't really looked at her record. And when you look at her record in California, it's not a great record across the board. She did many good things. But she, there are innocent people in prison who were put in behind bars. I didn't know that. You know, Google George Gage, Daniel Larson, Johnny Backer, uh, a guy called Kevin Cooper. These are people who were then released from prison because they were wrongfully convicted either because of race corruption, uh, mm. false testimony presented in court by Kamala's prosecutors. And she fought tooth and nail to keep them behind bars. She has to answer questions about that. That exchange is one of the benefits of having a big field. The top tier contenders might not have necessarily gone that hard at Harris mm-hmm. because they fear her. But Tulsi Gabbard did. And she did Harris a favor because Harris is going to get that attack one day. And it better come from the Democratic side than it comes from a general election. This all helps them become stronger, get these things resolved now. There is an argument uh, that Hillary Clinton was not as strong a general election candidate as she could have been because she didn't really face a vigorous primary, especially with so many people in the Democratic Party telling Bernie Sanders 
to hold his fire. And you could tell that he... He maybe didn't want to, but he did for the most well, part. They had a, I think the 08 primaries between Hillary and Barack sure. were much tougher. Very brutal. But Sanders did test Hillary. I don't think that was the, the cardinal problem with her campaign. And he won 19 states, I think, maybe a couple well, more. Well, he dropped the email question, which became a major general election issue. He, he did, but I think that's more, we can get into that, that's more the fault of the press, frankly, than of Hillary or Bernie. I mean, I think they, they overinflated. It was unresolved. Well, without going into Hillary's emails, again, yeah. Yeah. No, what about no. her emails? No. Uh, I mean, there is the argument that, it, that this does, I know there are a lot of Democrats who hate the Democrats fighting, yeah. but there are a lot of other people who say, this is good for the party no. in the long running, especially Democratic officials. They have to be ready for this. And I have frankly been surprised at how little prepared Harris seems to be for what seemed to me exactly. to be very predictable lines of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gabbard did it well, uh, but you should have seen this coming many, many miles yeah, away. And she didn't seem to. And here's the thing. she has, She's very good on attack on stage. She's very good on stage. But then after the debate, there's a lot of walk back. And now with this first tier, top tier candidate thing, there's a whiff of entitlement and people do not hmm. like that. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Coming up, it was his first debate, a Democratic governor of a red state. Will his performance give him a big enough boost to get him onto the stage next time? We're going to talk to Montana Governor Steve Bullock next. Plus, House Democrats are two steps closer to the one thing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi does not want them to do. That's ahead. In our 2020 lead, it has been less than 24 hours since the two-night Democratic debates, and some candidates are already reaping in the rewards. Presidential hopefuls such as Bernie Sanders, whose campaign said they raised $1.1 million after the debate. Governor Jay Inslee announced they had 10,000 donations since last night. And Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who tweeted, Big news, our campaign had the best fundraising day since we launched today, and it's all thanks to you. Joining me now is Governor Steve Bullock. Uh, Governor Bullock, thanks for joining us. You're a big believer in transparency, especially when it comes to finances uh, and fundraising. You said you had your best fundraising day since you announced. Uh, how, how much did you raise? I think on that first day, it wasn't quite that 1.1 million. I think we were about 100,000 on that first day right after it. And it's been rolling in as well since then. So excited that we're getting contributions from all over the country, big and small, Jake. All right. Today, President Trump announced he's going to put an additional 10% tax on $300 billion worth of Chinese products. In addition to the previous tariff, what do you make of that? Do you support it? What do you think? No, I think this is absolutely his sort of America first becoming America loan isn't the way to deal with this. You know, it struck me when I was in Rippey, Iowa, when farmers said every time that this president tweets, we lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. But now, as he's also covering toys, consumer goods, you know, this is, as you say, it's not a tariff, it's a tax. And it's a tax that every American family is going to be paying for to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars. This isn't the way you don't conduct trade policy by tweet. But I I guess the counter argument is the Chinese have been screwing the Americans for decades now. And President Trump says it's time to get serious. It's time to get tough. And the only thing they respect is actual use of tariff and economic force. They have. Look, I actually agree with the president on the fact that we got to be tough on China. You could look at from 1994 when their economy was about 500 billion to now where it's 11 trillion. You can look. They did this with steel. They did it with credit cards. They did it with microchips. Now they're doing it with technology. But the way to get about that, I mean, as he lifted the tariffs on ag products from the U.S., what what did China do? They lowered the tariffs 
for the rest of the world. So the way to do it isn't to do it alone. It's actually to bring in the global community and get tough on them because the only folks that are really gonna be suffering as a result of these actions are us in this country. Us, not only just the farmers and the ranchers and er folks in rural areas, but in urban areas as well when it's effectively a tax on everything that Americans buy. I wanna change the subject because right now we're in the middle of a really important conversation about race and racism in America. You heard some of that last night on the debate stage and as well as the night that you were there. Now, you come from a state where 89% of the population is white, according to the U.S. Census, a very, very small black population. You have bigger percentages of Native Americans and Asians, for example. How can you reach out and win over this incredibly diverse Democratic voting base with that kind of a background? Yeah, raised in a single parent household. Do I know the challenges of dealing with what would be literally generations of discrimination? No. Do I have I had to talk to my son about if you ever get pulled over, put your head down, your hands on the dashboard? No, I don't. But what I do know is we can't let this president or anyone be dividing us by the color of our skin or who we love or where we're from. And that's exactly what's happening. We have literally generations of systemic, at times certainly racism, at times inequities, and we've got to address those piece by piece. We have to take a look at the criminal justice system. We have to look at the healthcare system. We have to look at the overall economy. And I think that's how we do it is, first of all, showing up, listening more than you talk, and recognizing that this isn't just about lifting all boats. It's recognizing that, and I'm glad we're having this conversation in 2019, mm. because the problems that are, we're dealing with right now in 2019, they didn't just start this year alone at all, Jake. So let me just ask you one last question, sir. Uh, the former Vice President Joe Biden today said that he was surprised by how many attacks last night were on the record of the Obama administration, Obama-Biden administration, when it came to immigration, criminal justice reform, trade. Were you surprised? Well, it is fairly stunning when, and I talk about like wish list economics, plans that are written without necessarily those direct connections to how people's lives are going to be impacted immediately. And I think that we don't talk as somebody who comes from a state where Trump won, places that we need to win back, we don't talk enough about folks' everyday concerns. And there were many on the stage including on my night, where it seemed like they're more interested in attacking Obama and Obama's record than actually recognizing that uh, Trump every day is trying to undermine and dismantle that. So I would agree with the vice president on that. We need to be making progress. And there are so many ways to mm -hmm. do it. But I think most folks uh, watching that debate, especially even last night, that is pretty painful to watch. And they didn't even know most of the things that pe people were talking about on that stage because it didn't impact their daily lives. All right. Montana Governor Steve Bullock, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Jake. President Trump was just asked about the horrible send them back or send her back chance that broke out last uh, at his last rally as he's heading to his first campaign event since the Democratic debate. His response next. The breaking news now. President Trump just spoke at the White House on his way to his campaign rally in Ohio tonight. The president gave a preview of the rally. It's the first since those ugly send her back chants broke out after the president said that a U.S. congresswoman, an American citizen, Ilhan Omar, 
should go back where she came from. She was, of course, a Somali refugee. CNN's Abby Phillip is at the White House. Abby, the president was just asked about those send her back chants. People saying he should have stopped them last time. He lied about whether or not he tried to stop them. What did he say this time? That's right, Jake. After President Trump disavowed those chants and said falsely that he tried to stop them, he's now leaving open the possibility that they could reappear tonight at his campaign rally and that he's not sure what exactly he's going to do if that happens. If they do the chant, we'll have to see what happens. Will you stop them, sir? You think you will? I don't know that you can stop people. I don't know that you can. I mean, we'll see what we can do. I'd prefer that they don't. But if they do it, uh, we'll have to make a decision then. Now, tonight, Jake, will be President Trump's turn to take the spotlight after two days of Democrats uh, being in front and center on that debate stage. And President Trump also made it clear that he's paying attention to what's going on in that Democratic race. It's President Trump's turn in the spotlight as he campaigns in the battleground state of Ohio on the heels of two straight days of Democratic debates. As Democrats slug it out for the chance to take him on in 2020, Trump weighing in from the peanut gallery tweeting, the people on stage were not those that will either make America great again or keep America great. Trump adding, we will grow bigger, better and stronger together, strangely mimicking Hillary Clinton's campaign slogan. We are stronger when we grow together. It was an unusually mild response from Trump, who on the first night of the debates quoted Louisiana Republican John Kennedy calling Democrats socialists. I am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world. Tonight's Ohio rally is Trump's first time back on the campaign trail since this chant sparked bipartisan condemnations. That coming days after Trump singled out Somali-born American Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and three U.S.-born lawmakers of color, saying they should return to the countries from which they came. One Ohio Republican lawmaker nervous that the chance will make another appearance tonight. Representative Steve Shabbat of Ohio telling the Associated Press, I would discourage the crowd from doing anything inappropriate, and I think saying something like that would be inappropriate. Back in Washington, the Senate approving a massive compromise budget deal. But even with the president's backing, 23 Republicans objected, saying it fails to rein in government spending. Republican leaders insisting the compromise was necessary. By passing this funding agreement, we are avoiding the possibility of government shutdown again this fall. And President Trump made another big piece of news today when he announced that he will, in fact, place a 10 percent tariff on $300 billion in Chinese goods beginning on September 1st. Jake, this is the latest sign that those talks with the Chinese are not going uh, particularly well. They have stalled, especially even after President Trump met with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Osaka, Japan in June. Uh, Those uh, tariffs are set to uh, go into place next month, and they have already spooked Wall Street uh, as fears that the trade war is nowhere near an end. Jake. All right. Abby Phillip at the White House. Thanks so much. Uh, Tonight's Trump rally is the first one since the crowds chanted send her back, which was particularly ugly. It's a reference to the president telling an American citizen to go back to the country that she fled as a child, as a refugee. Um, Ohio Congressman Republican uh, Steve Shabbat said if the chant happens again, quote, I would hope that the president would silence the crowd, tell them, hey, don't do that. There's no place for that. It's not helpful. It's not right. What are the odds you think that he's going to say that, Amanda? (laughs) He's not in control of this. Listen, 
President Trump opened up the Pandora's box of racism during the 2016 election, talking about Judge Curiel, David Duke, and he's not in control of this thing anymore. It's how we ended up with something like Charlottesville, and he had to make an asinine comment about how there's good people on both sides, because those are the people, not all, some of the loyal base that shows up to these rallies. So to me, the more interesting question isn't how Donald Trump reacts, it's how he's being led around by the nose, by the worst elements in this country. Oh, so you really, you, you, you think he doesn't have control anymore. Do you agree? I kind of do and I don't. I, I think he does get led by lots of people, but I, he's clearly inciting this stuff. This is stuff that he's doing deliberately. His advisors are briefing the Washington Post. This is part of the strategy to get the base out. Uh, it's disgusting. He knows what he's doing when he's tweeting about these four American citizens, three of them born in this country, saying they should go back to the crime-infested places from which they come, using the word infestation always in relation to people of color. Uh, you know, I, hope, I hope the debate in this country amongst politicians and media is over about Trump's racism. The most recent remarks were the most racist ones of all. You know, Telling people to go back to where they came from is the literal definition of racism as experienced by those of us who grew up listening to that chant. So this rally tonight is going to be really depressing. It's another hate rally. He's not going to control the crowd. He's the one inciting the crowd. Remember the 13 seconds he took. And I just think, you know, there's been studies done showing correlations between hate crimes going up in counties where these rallies have been held. And we know that white nationalist groups are being emboldened by this rhetoric. It's deeply worrying. Jay Inslee's line at the debate that we cannot tolerate a white nationalist in the White House is probably the most important line of the debate. And, and, and the question always is... Um why not just talk about the economy? Why not just talk about the things you're succeeding? I understand, but, but I mean, it, it, it's true. Telling somebody of color, go back where you came from, especially, I mean, even if they came from another country, it's racist, but especially people who were from this country, why is he doing it? He can't help himself. He wants to attack who is going after him, and so he's going to continue to do that. But it's also this uncanny ability that his attacks end up elevating the very, very people he wants to make the head of the Democratic Party, the face of the Democratic Party. Uh, so it works for him on two levels, sort of this like emotional and a strategic thing, even though it's not actually a strategy. I don't think it's actually a strategy. It's more of a just his need to lash out. But there's a chance tonight that uh, he did back off of this thing, suggesting that he sees it as a bit of a liability, at mm. least, because he doesn't always back off of this disgusting stuff, right? Um, so there's a chance it goes in a different direction. He just goofs on the debate performances. Everyone stick around. Paul, come hope. to you first in the next panel. Democrats in the House are just two lawmakers away from reaching a crucial milestone. We'll explain what it is next. Stay with us. If your majority of the caucus wants to go forward with an impeachment inquiry, would you go for it? It's not, it's not even close in our caucus. About but eventually. But gets- well, you know, why are we speculating on hypotheticals? That's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi less than two months ago talking to my colleague Manu Raju when the thought of the majority of House Democrats wanting an impeachment inquiry seemed, at least to Pelosi, far-fetched. But today that hypothetical is looking more and more likely with CNN counting 116 Democratic lawmakers now in favor, just too shy of a majority of House Democrats. There are 235 House Democrats. CNN's Manu Raju joins me now from Capitol Hill. Uh, Manu, with your Nostradamus-like abilities of predicting the future, if two more House Democrats come out in favor of impeachment proceedings, 
What happens next? Well, the pressure is going to intensify on the House Speaker, who currently wants to continue to pursue their course of action, which is to fight the matters in court. Now, Speaker Pelosi did bless language that was in the lawsuit filed by the House Judiciary Committee last week, saying that articles of impeachment are under consideration as part of that committee's investigation, that lawsuit to try to get the underlying grand jury evidence from the Mueller probe. Now, the speaker, the leader of that committee, Jerry Nadler, has essentially said that what they're doing is similar, if not the same, as an informal impeachment inquiry. But more and more members are calling for at least formal proceedings to begin. The big question is whether or not those frontline Democrats, those vul- most vulnerable House Democrats, ones who won Trump districts, if they start to break, that could force the Speaker's hand. Right now, some have started to call for an impeachment inquiry. And Jake, today I asked the Speaker whether or not she will change her position because we're about we're reaching that majority threshold. She declined to comment, said that she would soon put out a statement, Jake. And the election's only 15 months away, of course. Impeachment proceedings don't happen overnight. Is impeachment at this point, with the election only 15 months away, is it even a realistic goal? Well, some are worried that people are pushing impeachment, that it's not because that window is closing. And the debate continues within the caucus. Some, like Pelosi, arguing that Trump is simply trying to goad their party into impeachment so the Senate will ultimately acquit him and he'd campaign on it. But others are saying that the House doesn't impeach. The president will campaign that Democrats didn't have enough evidence to go forward. So that debate will continue behind closed doors. And we'll see what lawmakers hear when they're back home during their August recess. Jake. All right, Manu Raju, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, something's about to happen that has not happened since the Soviet Union was in its death throes. Stay with us. A CNN exclusive in our world lead now, defense officials are confirming that the United States military is preparing to test a new non-nuclear missile, specifically, they say, to counter Russian aggression. This comes as tomorrow could mark the end of a 30-year-old landmark nuclear agreement known as the INF Treaty. The Obama and Trump administrations have both repeatedly accused Moscow of violating that agreement. And as CNN's Barbara Starr reports, it's all sparking fears of a renewed modern-day arms race. This is the Russian missile the U.S. says led to the demise of a critical Cold War... U.S.-Soviet Arms Control Treaty. And new this hour, CNN has learned that the U.S. military is set to test a new non-nuclear mobile-launched cruise missile developed specifically to challenge Russia in Europe, according to a senior U.S. defense official. Details of this new weapon are scant, as it is just entering the test phase. This comes as the U.S. is expected to formally withdraw tomorrow from the 1987 Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty signed by President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. We can no longer be restricted by the treaty while Russia shamelessly violates it. It's one of the few areas where the Trump and Obama administrations agree. Russia has has cheated or is cheating on on treaties. Um, I give the Obama administration high marks for calling them out and trying to work this. The U.S. has long claimed Russia was in violation when it built and deployed this new ground-launched missile. Defense officials say Russia has deployed multiple battalions on rapidly moving mobile launch vehicles that U.S. intelligence may find difficult to detect. 
the threat is not American withdrawal from the INF Treaty. The threat is the Russian missiles already deployed. If war breaks out, the Russians could target European ports, cities, and critical military and civilian infrastructure, according to U.S. officials. This new U.S. missile aimed to deter those Russian threats but could also be used against China in a crisis. We obviously need to prepare uh, air missile defenses to defeat those, uh, those intermediate-range missiles. But then the other part is to make sure that we uh, develop our own conventional INF-range missiles to deal not just with Russia but China. Now, the U.S. still has to get European nations to agree to take the American missiles on their territory, but nations like Poland that are nervous about next-door Russia just might do it. Jake? All right, Barbara, start at the Pentagon for us. Thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss this is retired Navy Rear Admiral John Kirby, who served as Pentagon Press Secretary under President Obama. Admiral, thanks for joining us. The U.S. claims that Russia has continually violated the INF, that the INF Treaty is outdated. It doesn't factor in China or other nuclear world powers. But I want you to take a a listen to former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who told me in December that it, it would be a mistake to withdraw. The Soviets have been cheating on the INF Treaty, so let's get out of the INF Treaty. Oh, good. You do that. And guess what? The Soviets aren't cheating anymore because <laughs> there's no treaty to cheat. doesn't make any sense. What do you think? He makes a good point. I mean, if uh, it just it just frees Vladimir Putin up to continue to develop these weapons and maybe even at an accelerated rate now, because he's he's going to be given to believe that the United States is now going to be noncompliant and developing their own systems. And we hear claims of modern day nuclear arms race potentially breaking out because of this. Uh, do you see that happening? I'm worried, Jake, that there's nothing in place of it. I think the people that say there could be an arms race have a a point because I've heard nothing from the Trump administration about what to replace the INF with or simply pulling out of it, giving, again, Russia and China free reign to continue to develop these weapon systems and to be more worried about what we're doing in return. But is there any reason to think that there would be any movement towards a comprehensive worldwide arms treaty of some sort with, you know, taking into account not just Russia, but China and, and others? Well, you don't know until you try. And that's, that's the whole art of diplomacy. And I don't see any effort by this administration to try to sit down at the table and try to, to negotiate those kinds of agreements. The other thing, Jake, is in order to make these kinds of weapons systems valuable, you have to have basing. You have to have, to have basing in Europe. And you're going to have to have basing in the Asia-Pacific theater, which means any country basing them is going to become a preemptive threat or, 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 or the victim of a preemptive threat. So I want to ask you, uh, as long as I have you here, uh, you're a Navy man. President Trump ordered medals rescinded from the Navy prosecutors who unsuccessfully tried SEAL team leader Eddie Gallagher, who was charged with murdering a teenage ISIS detainee. The president tweeted, quote, the prosecutors who lost the case against SEAL Eddie Gallagher, who I released from solitary confinement so he could fight his case properly, were ridiculously given a Navy Achievement Medal. Not only did they lose the case, they had difficulty with respect to information that may have been obtained from opposing lawyers and for giving immunity in a totally incompetent fashion. Uh, the president obviously expressing support for Gallagher and his family as well. What do you make of this decision to rescind the medals? I think it's petty, mean-spirited. I think it's small. I think it's beneath the president. Look, he has every right to do that. He's the commander-in-chief. He can get involved in this. I've never seen it happen at a low level like this. Uh, but he's, he's casting dispersions against everybody who worked on the case. I can understand the concern over perhaps the prosecutors because the prosecutors didn't exactly crown themselves in glory. It's a little weird to me that the Navy legal leadership would have this ceremony in such a public way, an ostentatious way. But some of those medals and uh, letters that he rescinded went to junior enlisted personnel that were simply doing clerical work and trying to help the prosecution team do their jobs better. He didn't need to do such a blanket repudiation and get involved in that way. Do you think they should have gotten the medals, the, the 
had the, the elite people that got the medals of prosecutors? I think it's a fair question to ask that, Jake. I haven't seen the citations enough to, to, to know with certainty, uh, but I think it's a fair question to ask whether the lawyers, because the prosecution team was reprimanded by the judge, yeah. the lead prosecutor was fired for warrantless surveillance. So th- there's legitimate questions about whether or not these lawyers should have been given a reward at the end of a case, oh, by the way, that they lost. Right. All right. Admiral Kirby, always good to see you. Thank you, you sir. Uh, They say they got the shaft and now a group of coal miners are blocking the train tracks until they get their back pay. President Trump will not be far from this standoff tonight. Stay with us. Welcome back. In our national lead today, miners in the heart of Trump country are in a standoff, literally, with a coal company that unexpectedly filed for bankruptcy, leaving 400 workers without pay. Some of those workers have been sitting on the railroad tracks for days blocking a train carrying the coal. And as CNN's Alexander Field reports, they say they will not leave until they get paid. They didn't pay our 401k in. They didn't pay our child support in. And our last checks bounced. We want our money. Miners in Kentucky are taking to the tracks, blocking the coal they've collected from shipping out until they're paid their due. We worked for it. We earned it. And we deserve it. And that's why we're standing here today. And we're not going to go nowhere until we find out if we're going to get it. Once the nation's six largest coal producers, Black Jewel and its parent company, locked their gates July 1st, filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy without warning its workers, leaving them without a paycheck for weeks. It's been rough the last month because I ain't had no money coming in. CNN affiliate WYMT confirms Black Jewel's former CEO sent an apology letter to employees saying he accepts responsibility for the company's downfall, adding he had tried to get a loan to cover employee pay. Now, WYMT reports Black Jewel is auctioning off its mines in Wyoming, Virginia, West Virginia and Kentucky through bankruptcy court. All but Virginia voted for President Trump. We're putting our miners back to work like never before. They're going back, back, back. Now miners say they need his support more than ever. Neither Black Jewel or its parent company have responded to requests for comment. But if their coal mines aren't auctioned successfully, these families will have to find a new way to make ends meet. Coal miners are very tough, strong men. But when it comes to your kids, you're going to break. And... To not be able to provide for him or get for him or anything like that, you know, that hurts. Alexandra Field, CNN, New York. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper, or you can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.